You guys can take your seats. Good morning, church. What a great day to be alive and to be in this room together, praising and worshiping our awesome and amazing God. I mean, to know that God is real, that God is here, that God loves us, and that God desires our worship and is pleased with us, it does not get any better than that. Amen? All right, repeat after me. I matter. Okay, that didn't count. I matter to God. And that's all that matters to me. One more time. I matter to God. And that's all that matters to me. Amen. Hey, what I want to do this morning in our conversation called Just Saying is to take some words that Paul penned 2,000 years ago, and I want to use them as a springboard to to launch into a talk about what my approach, my attitude, and my aim is as I stand up here each week, uh, just saying. Uh, you know, uh, I was thinking this week about how I have stood up here for 300 plus Sundays. And since it's my intent to be standing up here for many more, I thought that today would be a good day uh, for me to both remind those who've been around here for a while and to inform those who are kind of new to Maple Grove who this guy is that stands up by this music stand each week bringing you the word. But before we go there, we have a brief commercial break about our upcoming message series. It's called Getting Better. It begins on January the 22nd, and I'm calling it, again, Getting Better at What Jesus Said Matters Most. I understand during the the final days of Jesus' earthly life, shortly before his arrest, crucifixion, and death, Jesus was asked a question by a religious leader. Of all the commandments, and you have the Ten Commandments plus 617 other Old Testament commandments, that's a bunch, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And then Matthew adds Jesus saying this, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Member Grove, what would happen? What would our lives look like? What would, what would your life look like? What would my life look like if we actually got better at loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves? Uh, now, to be honest, I'm, I'm having mixed emotions about the series Genuine excitement and palatable terror. I mean, this stuff is it's huge. It's a huge deal. After all, Jesus said that, that all the law, 617 laws, and all the prophets, 17 prophets wrote about 120,000 words. All the law and all the prophets hang on these commands. And Jesus said that these are the most important things. But how do we actually do them? I mean, how do we actually, in intangible ways, love God Uh, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind? And how do we love others and ourselves in the way that God intends for us to do? Be honest, I really don't know the answers to those questions. And that's why in two weeks, we're going to begin a journey together, a journey about getting better. And not getting perfect, right? But, But about getting better at loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves, I have no idea how long it'll take. I I have no idea where it'll take us, but I'm convinced that it will be an extremely 
exciting, sometimes difficult, and oftentimes terrifying ride. However, when all is said and done and the dust settles, I'm confident that it will be a very worthwhile journey. And listen, we're going to start this journey in the middle of Jesus' statement at what is far too often the missing or forgotten part of this commandment. No, it's not missing from the Bible, but too often it's missing from our lives. You see, we're going to begin this journey with learning how to get better at loving ourselves. You see, I'm convinced, and I'm becoming more convinced all the time, that the reason so many people, so many good people who are trying hard to do the right things fall short in loving God and loving others well is because they do not really love themselves. Again, our getting better journey begins in two weeks. And I, I just ask for your prayers uh, that God will help me figure out what he wants us to hear uh, during the next several weeks. Now, next week, we're going to uh, meet a guy in John chapter 9 who was asked a really powerful question. The guy was paralyzed for 38 years, and Jesus asked him a question, do you want to get well? And next week, we'll have the opportunity to have Jesus ask us that same question, and we get the opportunity to answer it. Commercial break over. Now let me read the words that Paul penned in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear, with much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has repaired for those who love him. May God bless the reading of his word, and would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, thank you for these brothers and sisters who've come to study scripture together today as your church. And God, we know that nothing can be done in us, through us, or for us apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. So we invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to come and lead us, guide us, connect us, and empower us, and reveal Jesus to us so that we might see him and that we might be changed by him. And so, Lord, we give you ourselves, our church, in this time, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Okay, let's do this. January 15, 2017, just saying. Uh, like I said earlier today, uh, this is the 300th time that I've stood up here on a Sunday morning. Some of you know me pretty well. I'm sorry. You know, uh, others are, are fairly new around here and just beginning to get to know me. So here, here's a brief bio. I was born on February the 4th, 1960, in Baltimore, Maryland. I know I look younger than that, but that's the truth. Um, I graduated high school in 1978. Uh, my favorite music groups as a teen were Styx, Supertramp, Led Zeppelin, Yes, and Boston. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Woo! Rock. Bring it. All right. Uh, after high school, I joined the U.S. Navy's nuclear power program and served onboard, onboard submarines from 1978 to 1987. Though I occasionally went to church growing up, I was not even close to being a believer or knowing who Jesus really was. In my late teens, I was overcome by feelings of insecurity and insignificance. 
I felt like everybody else's life was great and meaningful and that mine was worthless. And this resulted in me becoming a very angry young man who often vented that anger through his words and actions or tried to numb um, the pain um, with, the, with various substances on a regular basis. I was lost. I was broken. I was hopeless. However, in 1979, at the age of 19, this angry, insecure, broken young man ran head on into Jesus Christ. I, I was amazed by his grace. I was amazed that this God would, would, would love me, would like me, would actually like to have a relationship with me. And I surrendered to him in baptism on December the 30th, 1979, and my life has never been the same. As Jesus continues to show me that my true identity is in him, and that my life has eternal significance and security as I live for him and for his purposes. In 1987, God, while I was attending the Southern Christian Youth Convention in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as just an innocent sponsor, radically changed my career plans. He called me to leave the Navy after nine and a half years, not to re-enlist, but to go to Bible college. I began college in January of 1988 with a one-year-old and a three-year-old in tow, and I waited tables at, at Perkins Main Gate by, by Disney for four and a half years. And I graduated from college in 1992. A defining moment in my life, I won't go into detail, I have had other times, came on July the 28th, 1996, where my wife of 16 years lost her battle with cancer, but won her battle of faith and went home to be with the Lord. And that moment has defined greatly who I am, as God was with me every step of the way. I've been a full-time pastor since December of 1991, served churches in Georgia, Florida, and here in Seaville. I'm now married to an amazing lady, Laurie, the love of my life. We celebrated our 20th anniversary last Tuesday. I was here, she was in Cambodia, and what a good-looking pair that is right there. I love my hair, okay? <laughs> and there's big, huge glasses. They're coming back. Everything comes back eventually, right? And I have five children. My oldest is Chelsea. She lives in Indiana with her husband, Justin, and with uh, Zeb, Micaiah, Asher, and Kana. Uh, my oldest son, John, is married to Hannah. There's my grandson, uh, Michael Miles Malone. Uh, they live in New York, soon to go overseas for mission work. Um, I have a daughter, Leela, and since these pictures are on her Facebook, it must be allowed to put it on the screen, right? It's, it's already public. All right, love you, Leela. Uh, she's awesome. And I have two little ones, and I showed them these, this picture. Uh, this is us in Times Square. You know, they grab you and want to take a picture, and they want money. And I said, you're getting no money. Go ahead, take all the pictures you want, but I'm not giving you any donation. And that's Maylee and Gentile. And, and that's a, a very brief sketch of who I am. And, and what I want to do in our time remaining is to use the words that Paul penned, guided by the Holy Spirit and the breath of God 2,000 years ago to, to talk about what my approach, my attitude, and my aim is every time I stand up here and bring the word. Now, the Apostle Paul went to Corinth during his second missionary journey after he left Athens and having preached that incredible sermon on Mars Hill. It, it, it was in Corinth that Paul met up with Aquila and Priscilla. It was in Corinth that Paul uh, made a living making tents. And Paul would stay in Corinth for a year and a half, planting, leading, and building up the church. But Paul was literally a man on a mission from God, and eventually Paul had to leave to go to other nations to take the gospel to people who had never heard. Well, not long after Paul left Corinth, he got a letter from the church. 
And when he opened it up, he found that the church back in Corinth was not doing so good. They had some serious issues. There were disagreements over doctrine. There, there were divisions and disunity among people. There, there were problems with sin. There were problems with leaders not confronting sin. There were fights about spiritual gifts. There were bitter lawsuits between believers. There were dysfunction, dysfunction in people's marriages. There were too much friendship with the world. They were having meetings that were doing more harm than good. And they were even fighting and taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And not only that, but after Paul left, some guys came into the church and, and, and they, they started to put down and to criticize and badmouth and slander Paul, and their intent was to discredit Paul, thereby discrediting Paul's message. So in response to this letter, Paul wrote the letter we know as 1 Corinthians in about the year 56 AD. And what Paul's doing in this letter that we're unpacking today in these verses is reminding his brothers and sisters back in Corinth what his ministry was like when he was with them. Basically, Paul is telling the church, hey, don't let those guys fool you. Don't believe their lies about me. You know who I am. You know what I was about. You know where I was coming from when I was sharing the word of God with you. And I'm saying, in these verses, Paul clearly lays out what, what, his, what his, his approach, his attitude, and his aim was when he shared the word in Corinth. And I want you to know that, that it's my goal and my desire to follow Paul's example. Okay, let's do this. My approach is to preach Christ. Understand, our world is full of preachers. I mean, every time we turn on the TV or we go to a movie, a sermon, a message is being preached. Whenever we listen to a song or a podcast, a sermon, a message is being preached. Whenever we sit in a classroom, a sermon, a message is being preached. Whenever we read a book, a newspaper, or a magazine, a sermon, a message is being preached. Whenever we open up an email, log onto a website, read a tweet, or a post, a sermon, a message is being preached. And listen, here's what I know. Number one, that, that you and I are being preached to all the time, every day. And, and number two, that the messages that we're hearing are often in conflict with each other. So how do we know what is true? How do we know what message we can trust? Now, the situation in Paul's day was no different, especially in a city like Corinth. It was the commercial city of the Roman Empire, population around 700,000 people. Corinth was a city of wealth, of luxury, of immorality, and a city full of preachers, full of people who were very intelligent and who were very skilled at presenting their point of view, persuading people to embrace their way of thinking. They were slick, they were smooth, they were silver-tongued. Paul was not. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, I, I know I, I wasn't the best speaker. I wasn't the most polished. I, I didn't use the most impressive-sounding words. And I know that these guys who have come in and, and are telling you not to listen to my message, I know they are polished orators and they appear to have a higher cue than I do. I love how the message Bible words these two verses. You remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus. Knew he is. Then Jesus and what he did. Yeah, I love it. 
What Paul is saying is this. When I came and preached to you, brothers and sisters, I, I did not come using the common method of the day, flowery words, polished speeches, and, and slick philosophical strategies based on human wisdom. Now, understand, the philosophers of that day had no other recourse but to use such talk. Why? Because they had run out of ideas. They no longer had any answers. Therefore, they used high-sounding words to conceal the fact that they really had no message, that they really had nothing to say. Their words were a cheap substitute for the truth, a lot of gravy but no meat, a lot of image but no substance, a lot of fluff but no content. But listen, Paul didn't sink to that level, even though I have no doubt that he was very intelligent and no doubt that he could speak well. But he didn't stoop to that level because Paul's message was not empty. It was not meaningless. His message was the truth. His message was Jesus, plain and simple. Jesus, who he is. Jesus, what he did. Jesus crucified. And understand, my approach in, in my ministry at Maple Grove is to preach Jesus. And when I say preach Jesus, I mean, I mean preach this book. I mean preach his word because the only Jesus we have is the Jesus that is revealed to us in the inerrant, infallible Word of God. My approach is to preach Jesus, to preach God's Word. And it would be crazy and self-defeating for me to preach anything else. Some of you may have noticed that I, I cram my sermons full of Scripture. Why? Then I know it's going to be a good day, right? Even if what I say is stupid and ignorant, right? I know, hey, I threw enough God's Word out there that God's Word is going to have an effect, right? So I, I load it up with Scripture. Yeah. The message is awesome. It's the message of the Christ. It's the message of the cross. It's the message of God's amazing grace. It's the message of, of God's radical, unquenchable, unbounded love for sinful people like you and me. It's a message that's alive, that's active, that's penetrating. It's a message that is so radical that Paul, quoting Isaiah 64, verse 4 in our text, said the following, no eye has seen, no ears heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I understand what, what Paul is saying is that the gospel, that the message we have in Christ is so amazing that even the Old Testament guys who wrote about it still had no idea how mind-blowing it would be to actually live in it and to live from it. Forgiveness of all sin once and for all time, and the end of rules, and trying to measure up to earn God's favor, adoption into God's family, and God's spirit actually living inside of us, empowering you and I to live a life that we can never live on our own. That's the gospel. It's a message of freedom and redemption, of rescue and restoration, of glory and transformation, of joy and hope. It's a message of food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, belonging for the lonely, love for the outcast, release for the prisoner, freedom for the captive, hope for the hurting, wholeness to the broken. It's the message of the, of the kingdom of God advancing in and through the hearts of men and women, young and old, changing the world one life at a time. You see, Paul simply preached Christ and him crucified. But listen, it does not mean that Paul did not think through and carefully choose his words. Rather, it means that Paul did not use fancy words to cover up the fact that he didn't have anything to say. You see, Paul was determined when he shared the word of God in Corinth that he did not obscure Christ with his own words, that he didn't get in the way. You know, there was a church that had a huge stained glass window that was directly behind the, the pulpit, and it was a picture of Christ on 
the cross. And one day they had a guest speaker who was a little bit shorter than the regular preacher. And a little girl was sitting there and listening and finally leaned over to her mom and said, hey, where's the guy that's usually standing there so that we can't see Jesus? Sad, but many times true. Hey, listen, I-, I want you to know that my approach as I share the word here at 3210 Prophet Road is not to preach myself, is not to preach pop psychology or positive thinking. And though I will carefully choose and hone and mispronounce my words, I do not want my words or myself to obscure Christ. Jesus will be the center of my preaching and teaching. Jesus, who is the Son of God. Jesus, who is the Word become flesh. Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus, who loves us like no one can or ever could. Jesus, who gave his life that we might live. Jesus, the one who can keep us from falling and the one who, who, we, who's, who we can trust to take care of what we have entrusted to him. Jesus, whose blood cancels our past and guarantees our future. Jesus, who's with us always to the very end of the age. Now, I understand, my goal and hope each Sunday is that you leave here thinking, what a great Christ, what an awesome Savior. I need to get to know him more. Amen? And listen, there is no way to get to know Jesus without this book. No way. You can't get to know without this book. Uh, That's why I push this faith comes from hearing, this chapter a day thing, right? You know, we read a psalm on a Monday, a proverb on a Saturday, and a bunch of other scripture in between. I want to encourage you to do that because you cannot know Jesus apart from his word. I approach, preach Christ, my attitude, dependence on Christ. Paul writes, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. And Paul is telling him how he felt when he began his ministry in Corinth. The message Bible words it this way. I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I, I was scared to death, if you want to know the truth about it. And so nothing I said could impress you or anyone else, but the message came through anyway. God's Spirit and God's power did it. How did Paul feel when he arrived in Corinth? Totally inadequate and scared to death. Weak, fearful, and trembling. And who and what did he depend on? God and God's power. You know, Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth, and he, he learned many valuable lessons. But I think probably the most valuable lesson he learned was what, was what he learned and writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Ever been there? <laughs> the junk is just piled up on top of you so high, you don't know how you get up from under it. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Man, we're never going to get out of this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And let me get a a little personal here. You know, being a preacher and leader of God's church terrifies me. 
I mean, when I think that a couple hundred people are looking to me for spiritual guidance and knowledge every week, when I think that, that, that I, sinful, fallen, messed up me, you know, that, that, I, that I am God's spokesman, I'm talking about the God who set this whole thing in motion. When I think about how the church, for the most part, will not be any more spiritual than I am, and, and when I think of the eternal destinies where people will spend forever, you know, in my neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in Charlottesville, in the world, when I think of the eternal destinies that hang in the balance, I feel totally inadequate and scared to death. Weak, fearful, and trembling. But like Paul, I'm learning not to rely on myself, but instead on the God who raises the dead. In fact, one of my spiritual goals for the coming year is to learn, right? To learn, to really learn how to depend on and trust in Jesus more and more. I mean, think about it. Why, when under pressure, would I rely on me (laughs) when I can rely on God? I mean, why would you do that, right? All this stuff going on in your life, and you're going to rely on you? (laughs) You think you can get through this? When you can rely on the God who actually raises the dead? I mean, one of my goals is to develop a ruthless trust and dependence on him. Why? Because I know that like God, like Gabriel told that girl 2,000 years ago, nothing is impossible with God. My approach, preach Christ. My attitude, depend on Christ, trust in Christ. My aim, take you to Christ. Not to a church, not to a building, not to a religion, and not to a new list of do's and don'ts, but to Christ. Paul writes, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, Paul knew exactly what he was aiming at in his ministry of Corinth. His aim was to bring people, the people there to a true, deep, real, radical, extreme, and lasting relationship with Christ. In fact, that was Paul's aim and goal everywhere he went. He wrote these words to the church in Colossae while he was sitting in a prison cell. We proclaim him, that'd be Christ, admonishing, that's confronting people and correcting them. We proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete, mature in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Listen, the reason that this was Paul's aim is because Paul knew two things. Number one, that Jesus is what the church in Corinth needed. And number two, that Jesus is all they ultimately needed. You see, Paul knew that if they really had Jesus, then anything else in life would eventually work out for their good and for God's glory. Amen? If you really have Jesus, right? That's kind of why I threw briefly that thing that, you know, it's a difficult thing to have your wife of 16 years die of cancer and watch that happen. It's not, it's not a party, I'll tell you what. But here's what I do know. I do know that when you have Jesus and you cling on to Jesus, that eventually all things do work out for, for your good and, and for, for God, God's glory. 
Uh, Therefore, Paul preached in such a way that those who heard him were driven, compelled, moved, motivated, persuaded, inspired, convinced to initiate, develop, and deepen their own relationship with Jesus because in him is life that is really life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. But Jesus has come to give us life that is really life. Amen? I I want there to be no doubt whatsoever as to what my aim is every time I stand up here. My aim is to take you to Christ. I want you to get to know him better. I I want Jesus to become more real to you. I want to help improve your personal relationship with Jesus. I I want the King of kings and Lord of lords to come off the flannel board and to come out of the box of your current understanding. I, I, I want you to feel the passion, see the power, and hear the roar of the Lion of Judah. I, I want Jesus to come off the pages of your Bible and reign in your hearts. I, I, I want Jesus to come out of the songs that you sing and be radically and fully represented through your life. I just don't want you to study about Jesus. I want you to walk with Jesus. I don't just want you to sing with Jesus. I want you to live for Jesus. I want to take you and me to the center of God's will, the most awesome, beautiful, satisfying, fulfilling, and dangerous place on the face of the planet. Bottom line, I want knowing Jesus to be your number one pursuit. I, I, I want knowing Jesus become the most important thing in your life. I, I, I want to I take you to Jesus so that you will see as he saw, think as he thought, love as he loved, serve as he served, sacrifice as he sacrificed. I, I want to take you to Jesus so, so that you will reach out as he reached out, that you will live as he lived, give as he gave, shine as he shined, and bring glory as he brought glory. I, I, I want to take you to Jesus because he really does have all the answers, and he really is a shelter in the storm. I, I want to take you to Jesus because he can provide all that you need. He can forgive your sins. He can bring peace, any conflict. I want to take you to Jesus because Jesus can conquer any problem. He can calm any storm. He can defeat any enemy. And he can give you a hope that is living and a joy that is lasting. I want to take you to Christ so that he will mess up your life. Just warning you. Moving you to go places you never thought you would go. Moving you to do things you thought you would never do. Moving you to become some person you thought you never could be. Moving you to let go of things you thought that you could never let go of. I want to take you to Jesus. So that when the world looks at you and at Maple Grove, they just won't get us. They will think that we are nuts, that we're crazy, that we are certifiably insane. I mean, they won't get why. We turn the other cheek why we go the second mile, why we give up the spare coat. They won't get why we live without anger. They won't understand why we constantly forgive those who hurt us and pray for those who persecute us. They won't understand why we constantly put others' needs before our own and why we give so much time and money and energy to his church. 
They won't understand why we serve the church and, and never retire, why the church is just so important to us. They won't get why we see the potential and even the worst of sinners. And they won't understand why we never, ever, ever give up on a brother or sister when they fall. Why we don't just kick them to the curb, but sit down on the curb with them and try to bring them back up. They won't understand why we chase after the least of these with an unrelenting passion. They won't understand why we put Jesus before our father and our mother, before our husband and our wife. They won't understand how Jesus comes before our sons and our daughters. They won't understand in the world, how in the world does Jesus come before your job, your career, your money, your stuff, your possessions, your very lives. They just won't get it. My approach is to preach Christ. My attitude is to depend and rely on Christ. My aim is to take you to Christ. And again, let him mess up your life. <laughs> In a good way. Turn everything that you think is right side up. Actually, turn it right side up. Because some things in our lives are actually upside down. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's what we need. He's all we need. It's all about him. It's all for him. He is everything. And Maple Grove, the good, the great, the mind-blowing news is that we have this awesome privilege and responsibility. We have this privilege and opportunity to do life with him and to live life for him. I mean, what an opportunity, right? What a privilege, right? That, that you get to do life with God and you get to live your life for God such that the life that you live and the things that you do will matter two billion years from now. We'll have an eternal significance. Now, now there, there was once a time when I did not live that way. Uh, when... when when I did not live with Christ or, or for Christ. But, but I want you to know, today, January the 15th, 2017, that, that I have made up my mind, and, 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 and though I may stumble and fall, and I do, I, I'm never going back. I, I'm never going back to a life that's not live with Jesus. I, I'm never going back to a life that's not live for Jesus. I'm never going back to a life that's empty and that does not have Jesus in the center. I am never going back. And yeah, I will stumble and I will fall, but I am never, ever, 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 ever going back. Father God, we love you. And we need you. Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, especially those who feel that great pressure that they do not think that they can endure. And God, I pray that they will trust and rely on you, the one who raises the dead. And God, I pray for those whose lives feel empty, those who try to fill their lives with so many different things, but they come up empty and thirsty every time. And they know it, Lord. When they lay their head on the pillow, when they look in the mirror, they know that something is missing and that something is you.
And Jesus, I pray that we'll begin to live our lives of, of dependence on you. And Jesus, I pray that you will mess up some lives in this room in some crazy ways. And I pray that we all just make a commitment to you that, you know, we're not going back. Why will we go back to life relying on ourselves and living for ourselves when we can live with and for you? In Jesus' name, amen.